area. I got to go to my inner geek here. You know, it's kind of a way of talking about meditation. Right? In your mind's browser, clear your cache. Now delete your history. Now navigate to a blank web page. Okay, good. So you got that. All right, good. Keep moving here. Bing the bing, I did that. So this is the traditional text of the four genres that constitute um, the right concentration element of um, the Noble Eightfold Path. And these jhana states, non-ordinary states, were known to uh, the yogis and teachers of the Buddha's time. Uh, and it's very interesting that in uh, Buddhist practice, right up front, in the Noble Eightfold Path, uh, which is for everybody to practice, you know, monastics and householders, um, Brahmins and untouchables, uh, women and men, etc., 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 people from all walks of life, right up front is this invitation to enter into the real deep end of the pool. So to read this aloud, this is traditional language that has come down to us over many years. I myself try to imagine the Buddha and others talking about this in those forests of the time 2,500 years ago, very removed from our own. But their voices have come down to us uh, across 25 uh, centuries. So he says, and what, friends, is right concentration? Here, quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, a person enters upon and abides in the first jhana, which is accompanied by applied and sustained thought with rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Sometimes the word thought is translated as attention, applied and sustained attention. With the stilling of applied and sustained attention, the person enters upon and abides in the second jhana, which has self-confidence and singleness of mind, without applied and sustained attention, and still with rapture and pleasure born of concentration. With the fading away as well of rapture, the person abides in equanimity, and mindful and fully aware, still feeling pleasure with the body, enters upon and abides in the third jhana, on account of which noble ones announce, he or she has a pleasant abiding, who has equanimity, and is mindful. With the abandoning of pleasure and pain, and with the previous disappearance of joy and grief, he or she enters upon and abides in the fourth jhana, which has neither pain nor pleasure, and purity of mindful, mindfulness due to equanimity. This, altogether, is called right concentration. Pretty inspiring, isn't it? And profound. Notice a couple things. Number one, there's nothing metaphysical or mystical in the language there. It's psychological. And as we'll see in a moment, uh, and I'm going to use my handy dandy pointer here, there are some key factors that appear again and again that constitute the five traditional factors of the jhanas and deep concentration. Uh, you can see applied attention, sustained attention. Then you can see rapture, sometimes translated as bliss. Then you can have pleasure, which is really often translated as joy or happiness. And then implicit in this is a sense of singleness of mind, a really uh, what's also called a unification of consciousness. And that gives us the five jhana factors. 
And that's what we're going to focus on for the remainder of this workshop, and which are actually within reach, I think, in everyday practice. Um, some people have experiences where they just drop into a jhana state, or other somewhat different but still related, profound, non-ordinary states of consciousness. Most people, though, will come into a jhana state uh, after some very a sustained period of, of, of engaged practice, such as on a meditation retreat. Uh, and uh, so it's not our intent here or promise to drag you kicking and screaming or joyfully or what have you into the jhanas, but it is within reach to cultivate these five factors and to cultivate uh, their neural substrates. Okay? And by strengthening, by stimulating those neural substrates with practice, we can strengthen them. So you can see here we have applying attention, bringing it to bear, thinking about the breath, and we'll talk about this in some depth. Thinking about the breath, we can apply attention to the beginning of an inhalation or the beginning of an exhalation. And then we can sustain attention over the course of that inhalation or the course of the exhalation. Sally Clough Armstrong, one of the people on the teacher's council here, Spirit Rock, talks about the metaphor of an ice skater, that applying attention is like planting the foot and then sustaining attention is like gliding along the breath. And then you reapply the foot again. We have rapture in which there's a sense of just enormous interest or de- in or devotion to the object of attention, often accompanied with feelings of bliss in the body, rushes of bliss in the body that often have an energizing or a rising feeling to them. Then there is the factor of joy. Um, joy being on a range from happiness to contentment to tranquility. Positive emotion, broadly defined. And then there's the fifth factor of singleness of mind, uh, sometimes called unification of consciousness, in which it all kind of whoosh comes together. An interesting point here is to ask why the Buddha, who is perfectly prepared to do deep ascetic practices, uh, starving himself nearly to death, um, other forms of uh, self-denial, why would he allocate, um, and why would the early teachers allocate 40%, two out of five of the jhana factors, to intense positive emotion? And there's some new understanding from neuroscience as to why positive emotion sustained, intense positive emotion would be a factor of steadiness of mind. And that has to do with the way in which uh, we sustain attention to anything. So to sustain attention to something, in a neurological sense, means to stabilize the contents uh, represented in the neural substrates of working memory. Working memory, the neural substrates of working memory are kind of like the RAM, random access memory, in the biocomputer of the brain. And they're located in the upper, outer, frontal regions of the cortex. All right? Those neural substrates have a little gate, as it were, that uh, blocks new information from coming in or opens so that the current contents of working memory can be updated by new inputs. All right? That gate is controlled by dopamine, a neurotransmitter that tracks rewards. So dopamine, uh, steady dopamine occurs when we have an ongoing sense of reward. Dopamine drops when our expectations of reward are disappointed. And also dopamine spikes when there's an even better reward opportunity you know, in front of us. So when dopamine is steady, the gate stays closed, 
and we're focused on whatever it is we're concentrating on or trying to pay attention to of one thing or another. If rewards drop, our mind gets more distracted. If rewards spike, we forget about the silly thing we were paying attention to and we go after the new prize. Imagine a monkey in a tree. I'm a monkey in a tree now, meaning bananas in my tree. Good bananas. I like my bananas. My precious bananas, right? <laughs> Steady dopamine. I don't notice other trees. Bananas start drying up in this tree. No more bananas in this tree. Dopamine drops. Gate opens. I start being much more aware of other trees, which might have bananas. Or alternately, I'm eating my bananas in my tree, yummy bananas, and this cute other monkey swings onto a branch nearby. Hey, how are you doing? What's your sign? Forget the bananas. New reward opportunity, right? It's an ingenious mechanism, but that's actually how it works. So, um, you know, much like the, 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 the book with the title, Proust was a neuroscientist, right? I thought of writing something, the Buddha was a neuroscientist, in a sense, because they recognized that if you could have steady reward experiences from bliss or joy and peak reward experiences, high sustained reward experiences from bliss and from joy, then you both keep the gate closed to the neural substrates of working memory and you prevent a spike because you're already at the top of the range in terms of incoming flows of dopamine, thus supporting ongoing steadiness of mind and absorption in a particular content, as it were, such as the sensations of breathing or profound compassion or loving kindness you know, the content that's being represented in those neural substrates of working memory. Isn't that a really cool way to kind of understand all that? And like, oh, wow, that's really great. Once again, happiness is skillful means. Okay, so to sum up, we have here a teaching about the place of concentration, concentration being the proximate cause of wisdom. And without concentration, without um, ownership, if you will, or some mastery of, one's own combination spotlight and vacuum cleaner, you know, where attention rests. Uh, We can't take care of ourselves, let alone take care of other people. And then we have this great quote from Shantideva, the famous Tibetan teacher, who says, penetrative insight, insight, joined with calm abiding, calm abiding is code language for deep concentration, penetrative insight joined with calm abiding utterly eradicates afflicted states. What's the point of all this? The point is the heartwood of spiritual practice. The Buddha said this is a path that's good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. There's a place for beginning and intermediate stages, certainly, along the way. That said, he was also very clear that, as he put it, I teach one thing only, suffering in its end, the end, the literal end of suffering. And so he's encouraging us all, all the time, wherever we are, to keep going, you know, to take that next step. I had a moment with Joseph Goldstein, a major teacher in America, in which I was sharing an insight with him just to, you know, to check it out. Okay, part of me wanted his praise. I admit it. Um, but, you know, it's good to have your insights confirmed. There's a place for that. And he, he said, yeah, that's, that's it, that's it. And then he said two words, I'll never forget them. He paused, he looked at me and said, keep going. Keep going. So we keep going to the heartwood, the essence of the matter, the ultimate unshakable liberation of heart and mind. And that's what the Buddha is really talking about here. You know, it's you know, it's good to have these bliss states, it's good to have the ordinary benefits of greater mindfulness, 
it's, um, it's good to have intermediate insights into the way things are, but ultimately we're aimed at this heartwood. So that's the point of all this. Mm-hmm.